have a strange message for you tonight. Really, the title is Isaiah's Visions of the Pre-Incarnate and the Incarnate Christ. Will you turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 50, please? Isaiah chapter 50. I'm going to show you a few things you may not have known before. Some of you will. Some may never have heard of them before. But we're going to show you a few things that in this chapter, look for Christ, will you? Every scripture, look for him. From Genesis to Revelation, you should look for him. But notice this, verse 1. There's 11 verses in the chapter, and we shall read the chapter. Isaiah 15, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you have sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. Wherefore, when I came, there was no man. When I called, there was none to answer. Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. The fish stinketh because there is no water and dieth for thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, that, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, Shall I not be confounded? Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they all shall wax old as a garment. The moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. We know the Lord will bless that reading of his own inspired word. Let us pray. Father, take us this evening up in your spirit and inscribe your word upon every heart and imprint it upon every mind. We pray, O God, that you would move from seat to seat, from heart to heart, from man to man and woman to woman, from the youngest to the oldest, from the front to the back, from the side to the side, to this great number tonight. And we pray, Father, that you would be, Lord, seen as God over all, sovereign 
over the nations and over everything that you have created. But may they see your Son who has come to bleed and die for us, to redeem us, that we might be in your heaven and in your glory. So for thy kingdom's sake and for thy name, we ask it that you, Lord, would use this man to speak for the glories of Christ and for the exaltation of his name. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen. Amen. Isaiah is known to many Bible students, scholars, as the fifth evangelist. Even though he is about 750 years before the birth of Christ at Bethlehem, even though he's so many years away from the Old to the New Testament, Christ is seen by him. We're going to look at it tonight in the Lord's will. And Christ is known of him. It's Christ who speaks to him and shows him his glory and shows him Calvary. And hence, by the spirit of prophecy, we see that Isaiah is, as it were, at the throne of glory and he sees the pre-incarnate Christ. He sees the pre-incarnate Jesus and he sees him as the Logos, the Word of God which was with the Father. And then he sees him on the cross. He sees him as the Lamb of God. He sees him bleeding and dying for the redemption of his people. And hence, because of these things, we are brought, as it were, with an evangelical fervor of the prophet. We are brought closer to Christ. Notice here, Isaiah the prophet, the fifth evangelist, after in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and scholars put in the Old Testament prophet Isaiah as the fifth. His name is uh, pronounced as Yeshayahu. That's how we pronounce his name, Yeshayahu, or Yeshaya in the original Hebrew text. And his name means Jehovah has saved. Or it means the salvation of Yah, or the salvation of Jehovah. And hence this Old Testament evangelist and prophet, he tells and foretells of the coming, of the bleeding, of the dying, of the incarnate Christ, leaving the throne of heaven to come to die for sinners who were rebellious towards him. Isaiah's visions and prophecies are mainly directed, mainly directed to the southern kingdom of the house of Israel, uh, but the northern kingdom of the house of, uh, pardon me, the house of Judah, the northern kingdom of the house of Israel are mentioned right through. And this brings us to chapter 50 tonight. This brings us to what we want to say of God's divorce. Uh, write it down. We have talked about it before. First Kings chapter. Uh, 11 into chapter 12, Solomon loves many strange women and then God judges the kingdom of Israel. And he says it will be split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And hence the whole way through scripture, it happens in 1 Kings 12, as you read it there. The northern kingdom is known as Israel, the southern kingdom is known as Judah, and they're known under other names also. Now I want you to take note of this. 
Isaiah's looking for, he's looking at Judah, the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem mainly. For example, in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, it gives us this information. It starts off by saying, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning, notice Judah, that's the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem. And then he mentions in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. He mentions four kings in which he was a prophet throughout those kings and their reigning on the throne. Actually, he was, there was a fifth one, and for some reason they are not, he is not mentioned here. And that was the king Manasseh, the wicked king. And it is said in Jewish writings that Manasseh, he killed Isaiah the prophet. Hence, maybe his name isn't written down here in the book at this point. Due to his visions, due to his visions, Isaiah is not just called the fifth evangelist, but he's also called the evangelistic prophet. And are you ready? Many call him the St. Paul of the Old Testament because of the things that he says in his prophecies, because of the things he shows Israel and tells them. Just like Paul in the New Testament, Paul tells us about the breaking of bread. He gives us a commentary on how it's done, 1 Corinthians 11. Paul tells us of of the glories of Christ, of the man caught up, as it were, to the third heaven. And he tells us he's seen things that were not lawful to utter. So that man, Paul, is likened unto Isaiah, and Isaiah in the Old Testament is likened unto Paul by many scholars. During his public ministry, he was held in high esteem, coming from a good line, a good seed. The princes of the land, uh, they, exor- they, they allowed him to exercise in his family a, a bit of authority among the people. And I want you to take note of, here, note of this, because this affects the church today. This affects the Christian today. And Isaiah, he was... Uh, well looked after, if you want. And Uzziah the king, Uzziah the king was his protectorate. And hence he says, in Isaiah 6, we'll look at it in a minute, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. And what he's saying is, Uzziah was a protectorate of the church. You see that the monarch, supposed to be King Charles at the minute, is supposed to be the defender of the faith, the reformed faith. But he's now the defender of every faith. Welcoming any faith and every faith. And he's not the defender of the faith. And really the government level, or if you want, the the king himself is supposed to have a covering over the body of Christ. They're supposed to uphold the word of God and the authority of it in the land. But instead the Christians are being pulled down. They can't move. They can't speak. Not allowed to read the scriptures. Not allowed to think outside an abortion clinic. You're not allowed to pray in your head. And instead of the king covering us, instead, he is a globalist who does everything but that. Here we find that Isaiah sees Uzziah and he dies. That's his covering is gone. And he starts to get concerned because he knows that his fate will be sealed 
and it comes after three kings later. How things change when the word of God is brought into the center of the nation. Societal, familial, and individual life changes. Jewish records tell us of Isaiah being sawn asunder, sawn in two with a wooden saw by Manasseh, Hezekiah's son. They would have got a pole and hung them by each foot upside down and from the groin down sawed them in half of a pole with his wooden saw from the pole. And this is how it is said that Isaiah lost his life. There are other, uh, there are other ideas, but this is the main one in Jewish records. I wonder, does Hebrews 11, Faith's Hall of Fame, is this alluding to Isaiah being sawn asunder? Hebrews 11 and verse 37, the Hebrew writer says, they were stoned, speaking of the prophets, those whom God sent to the land and to the nation, they were stoned. We think of the Lord Jesus when he, he says that there are those who were prophets who were stoned, who were killed by you. He says to the Jews and to the Pharisees, and the Hebrew writer says of those from the Old Testament right down, bringing the word of God, they were stoned. Notice, they were sawn asunder. And many think this is the Hebrew writer taking this and, and saying this is how Isaiah and others like him died. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented. You see, brothers and sisters, the church thinks I'll fly away, oh glory. And I'm not going to have to deal with anything or I'm going to live a, a life of comfort and of blessing, of prosperity. And there's never any sickness or trouble or worries. There's not going to be any form of persecution against us. But here it tells us different that every child of God, right from the prophets, right the whole way through to this very day, through the apostles, and the early church to now, it says they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slim with the swords, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. And this is what I want to put across, and I'm always shouting the argument to you. I'm always sounding the alarm. I'm trying to blow the trumpet and sighing to put it to my mouth. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you grounded in the faith and in Christ? Are you ready? Should this be what happens tomorrow? When you bow at the sound of the instruments and the music of Nebuchadnezzar, or would you be like Daniel? Never to bow your knee to worship the gods of Baal. How things change when the word of God is brought into the equation. And in the words of Puritan Stephen Charnock, listen to what he says. Men are more willing to part with their righteousness than with their sins. Men, women, 
are more willing to part with their righteousness than with their sins. In other words, men will say, yeah, instead of walking right before God, I'll, I'll, I'll make life easy for me and we'll go into the Word. We'll get through, we'll not rock the boat and we'll not say anything out of order. We'll go to, we'll go to downtown church, whatever it may be, because they preach smooth things there. They don't sound an alarm. They don't sound out a warning. They don't tell us of a need of salvation. They don't talk of a lake of fire, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. They don't speak of it there and they let us get on the way we are. Hence the Church of England have passed the blessing of same-sex marriage. Brothers and sisters, it's coming closer. It's coming closer. And you need to be closer and closer to Christ. Puritan Henry Smith, listen to what he said. God examineth with trials. The devil examineth with temptations. The world examineth with persecutions. And God may send trials our way and it examines our faith to where we are with him. He knows where we are, but we don't know. We think we know until it comes. Sure, everybody was oh, a few years ago was, you know, stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross, and it's the power of the blood and the book, brother, and all this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, whenever the government said boo, everyone went under the covers. What happened about the power of the blood? What happened about the word of God? What happened about the blood and the book and the Christ we love and serve? What happened about the protection of God's hand upon us? What happened about doing God's will, walking God's way, and serving Christ? What happened instead we bowed the head and bent the knee and served the beast rather than the Creator? That's where people are. That's where the church is. And it sifted many. Shifted out much of the wheat from the chaff. Man does not recognize his sin. Man does not like the responsibility of the word of God. Man does not like the repentance it demands. And so they get defensive, offended, then aggressive and persecutive. It's not about equality. It's about domination. It's not about equality. It's called communism. It's about domination. 
Isaiah soon found this out to his peril. And while Isaiah was called out, pardon me, while Isaiah called out the sin and the idolatry of Israel, of the nation, that is, get your mind off the, where the Jews are today. This is Old Testament. That, and causes, this causes him much trouble. This causes him much trouble. Isaiah and, and all the prophets weren't these sort of mealy-mouthed, uh, you know, soft-soaping, ear-tickling preachers. They weren't those who says, uh, you know, we'll, we'll take the easy route and we'll say nothing and God won't mind sort of type of preacher. Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and even Ezekiel and Hosea and so on and so on with Amos and we could keep going on. They brought God to men and they brought the Word of God to the men and to women. And they told him that there is a help for them. They told him there is a health for them. They told him how to escape damnation and judgment that was to come upon them. They said, if you turn to God and away from your sins and turn to God, then you'll be saved, Israel. If you turn from your sin and from your idolatry, and in this nation we've had the idols of paganism in the church for years, 1,600 years of Romanism with their idols. But what about the idols in everyone's mind? And the sporting idols and the the popular idols and and the entertainment idols and, and every idol that's put before Christ and before the love of Christ. Every single thing is an idol that's before Christ. And as the hymn writer once said, may it be the song of our hearts tonight, the greatest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Christ alone died for our sins. And as the group sang tonight, and we all sang collectively, it's all about the blood. It's all in the blood of Jesus. Isaiah calls out the sin of the land and the nation. And Isaiah's main point of persecution, it says because he, he said he's seen Yahweh or Jehovah. Isaiah says, in my vision, I saw him on his throne. And the thing about it is, it's not just, well, isn't he a big daddy Santa Claus who sits on the throne? Isaiah saw the logos, the invisible expression given to him of the invisible God. And he's seen him in power and in might and in majesty. He's seen the pre-incarnate Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God, says John. And that's who Isaiah saw, the pre-incarnate Word of God. He says, because he's seen it, his life was in danger. It was the sovereign day. It was the awe, the astonishment He was astounded. Woe is me for I am undone, he says. 
for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He says, I can't even stand in your presence, Lord. The pre-incarnate Lord Jesus. When Isaiah seen it, he said in Isaiah 6 and 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Notice, I saw God himself. That's why they killed him. They had Isaiah, as it were, up to here. They had their full of Isaiah calling out their sin. But to say that you've seen God, to say that you've seen him and he's awe, he's in glory and his majesty, to say that you've seen him in his brilliance, it's just too much for us. Oh, this crackpot has to go. Maybe they'll say that about the man in CET on a Sunday night. The year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Listen. And above him stood the seraphims, each one having two wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covers his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah is coming to a sinful land and says, this God is going to judge you. God isn't like that. Is that what you hear? God isn't like that. God wouldn't do that. I don't believe God would be like that or do that. Listen, once you go away from the word of God and who he is biblically in the word, then you have become the God of your own imagination and mind. And that which you have formed God into is an idol. It's an idol. Hence the Israelites took the gold earrings and all their bracelets off and formed that which they thought was God, which was a golden calf, to worship it. And hence man does the same today. Forms what's in his mind to think that God must be like this. And hence you, the one who's thinking it, becomes God. And God becomes nothing more than your servant. Hence they said, this man has to go. I saw also the Lord sitting on his throne, hand lifted up, and the train filled the temple. In John chapter 12, uh, I haven't time to turn to it, but the Lord Jesus himself, the incarnate Christ, the incarnate Jesus, that's born of Bethlehem, he's incarnate. He takes on flesh. And here is a man in John chapter 12. He comes from the throne down. And in John chapter 12, he's healing the sick and he's casting out demons and he's preaching the kingdom of God. And everyone's astonished at the miracles that he's doing in John chapter 12. Now listen to the words of John in verse 41. These things said Isaiah, or Isaiah it is, when he saw his glory. He's looking at Christ. He's looking at the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, these things said Isaiah when he saw his glory, the one who is healing, the one who's casting out demons, the one who's preaching the kingdom, the one who's going to save the souls of Israel and all who will come to him. These things said Isaiah when he saw him. When he saw his glory and spake of him. 
See, they killed Isaiah for things like this. Listen to Isaiah again, chapter 9 and verse 6. We always, this is always read out because of uh, Christmas, uh, uh, because of everyone would celebrate the birth of Christ then. And I don't believe he was born on Christmas Day at all. I don't believe he was born the 25th of December whatsoever. I believe he was probably conceived of the Holy Spirit about then and born probably around September at the Feast of Tabernacles. He was tabernacled among men. That's what it means. He, God tabernacles among men. He tabernacled in the, in the veil of flesh, in the, in the incarnate Christ. Tabernacled in a body of flesh. In Isaiah 9, 6, we're always reading it. Let me get a drink. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's Christ. 700 to 750 years before it. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Notice, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Isaiah sees all of this and hears it. He sees the pre-incarnate Christ on the throne. And he sees the promise of his coming of the incarnate Christ. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord, the word Lord is Adonai. Adonai. I had a study even for later. I might do part two on this. I don't know. I'm afraid of losing the train of thought with it and maybe not fitting too well. But We'll see how I get on here, but Adonai here really means a lot for Isaiah 50. For example, in, in Isaiah 50, in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 7, and in verse 9, for the Lord God, it says, for the Lord God, the, the word here, Lord, is Adonai, this great master and ruler. You see, a government will be on the, the ruler's shoulder. He will carry the government of it. Christ is coming to set up his own government. You hear of a new world order, a one world government? There's going to be when Jesus comes back again. When he comes back again. Adonai, the master, the ruler of it. In fact, it translates into, that's the Hebrew into the Greek, in Acts chapter 9, when Paul, uh, who is Saul at the time, remembers a great light from heaven and a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul, Paul replies, who art thou, Lord? The word Lord is kurios. The master, the ruler, the one who is sovereign and in control of all things. This is the same uh, as Adonai. Isaiah writes of him in chapter 50, for Adonai, our Lord God, hath given me the tongue of the learned, and so on. Maybe look at it if I get a chance. But in Isaiah 7 and 14, therefore the Lord Adonai himself, I want you to take note of that, himself, 
shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1 tells us of this. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is means God with us. There's so many people out there trying to do away with the divinity and the deity of Christ. Matthew says it, and he takes it from Isaiah 7. And he says he will be called Emmanuel, who is God with us. Not just a man with us. Not just a prophet with us. Not an evangelist with us. God himself come down from glory. If there was anything less, we wouldn't be saved. We'd all be lost. Here he speaks of the Lord coming the incarnate Christ to be birthed through the matrix of the virgin's womb, the young woman Mary. Notice the Lord himself in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. Listen to what it says. Paul writes, for the Lord himself. Paul uses this terminology. For curious himself. The Lord himself. Speaking of the ascended, glorified, risen Christ. The right hand of the Father. Speaking of him who will come again. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel. With the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Speaking of the second coming of Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And then he goes on to say, And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. The Lord himself. It was the Lord himself who came to bleed and die. You think about this. And hence in Isaiah 53, in verse 5 he says that he was wounded. He sees the incarnate Christ before he's incarnate. He sees the Lamb of God. He sees him on the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Then in verse 6 he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord Yahweh hath led on him. The Father has led on the Son the iniquity of us all. 750 years before it happens, round about that time, he sees the pre-incarnate Christ. He sees the incarnate Christ, the Savior. Now something I want you to look at. And this is the main thrust of his coming. Remember the two kingdoms, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And you can read that in 1 Kings 11, 12. Well, they stay separate right through the scriptures. And in our reading tonight, in Isaiah 50 and in verse 1, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Notice, whom I have put away. The Lord is saying here, he's saying to Judah, the southern kingdom, 
where's your bill of divorce? Have I divorced you? Have I given you away? I'm going to tell you why he's saying this. Go with me, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 3, please. Jeremiah chapter 3. Let your eye run down to verse 6, just for time's sake. The Lord said unto me in the days of Josiah, one of the kings of Judah, Jeremiah is saying this, in the the days of Josiah, hast, hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. Now, what you have to understand is, if you read uh, Exodus 19 and you go home, God marries Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. They sign the register, and that is the Ten Commandments. He comes down three days later to consummate the marriage. Read it when you go home. To consummate the marriage. Moses is the officiator. It's like the minister. Will you take? I will take. Will you take? For, and so on. I will take. And between God and, and Israel, they get married. He takes them through the desert, through the wilderness, and he carries them over, as it were, like the, 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 the groom carrying his bride, his wife now, over the threshold into their home, brings them into Canaan land. They're in the marital home. And God says, listen, no gods before me. Walk thou before me and be thou perfect. And God says to them, I don't want you, Israel, to go after other gods because you're married unto me. And since you're married unto me, then I want you to be faithful to me. Hence the fourth commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And he gives them the fourth commandment and he says, don't take my name in vain. All the things the Lord says we'll do, they say, married unto them. In fact, the word name, and thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. People think it's when people use it, the name of the Lord God or the Lord Jesus as a, 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 a word that's just thrown out there and it's taken it in vain. And it is in a sense, but that's not what it means. He said to them, listen, when you marry me and take on my name, Israel, when you marry me, live up to my name. That's what he means in the commandment. Live up to my reputation and up to my name. Don't take it in vain to throw it away that others will say, look, his wife is a harlot. That's what that means. That's how strong the commandments of God are. That's why it should be in every public building in Ulster, in Ireland, in Scotland, England, and Wales. That's why it should be there that everyone will see how much of a harlot they are before God, for they have transgressed every commandment. We can't know sin, Paul says, unless we know the commandments. He says, you live up to my name. So they're married. He carries them through the wilderness, over the river, and then into Canaan land. He says, this is our marital home, and you will love me, and I will love you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. I'm the husband, and you're the wife, Israel. And then, of course, in 1 Kings chapter 11, 12, the kingdom separates into two kingdoms, and Israel turns into a whore of a wife. The northern kingdom of Israel. 
And in the book of Hosea, he represents Jehovah. Go marry a woman of whoredoms, out of the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredoms before me, says the Lord. Speaking of the house of Israel, speaking of the people with their sin and their idolatry and their spiritual adultery unto God, allowing every man and his dog and their God to come into the land. And that's what's happened to Ulster. That's what's happened to the United Kingdom. We're nothing but adulterous, spiritual whores before God. He says, you be my wife and I love you and you'll love me. And you love me and I'll love you. And we'll walk together and I'll bless you. Sure, he done that with our nation, didn't he? I take note. They said in the northern kingdom, sin. Let's go to Jeremiah 3. I've went off topic. You're going to have to forgive me here. I'll see what way we'll get on with this tonight. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 7. And after that, she had done all these things. Turn thou unto me, but she returned not. Here is the husband saying, will you stop committing adultery on me? Pleading with Israel through the prophets. Pleading with them. When you go to the book of Hosea, Hosea is the type of God. And, uh, and Gomer, his wife, is the type, uh, is Israel in type and her sin. And he marries this woman. And this woman, Gomer, ends up having children. The first one, Jezreel, means uh, I, uh, to scatter. I will scatter you, he says to the house of Israel. I will scatter you among the nations. And then he has another child, I will have no mercy in you. Another one, now I'll not be my God. Ami and lo me as the names. You'll not be my God, I'll not be your God and you'll not be my people. And he divorces them. Matthew 19, Jesus said that Moses, for the hardness of your hearts, allowed you to write a bill of divorcement. Jesus said, Moses, for the hardness of your hearts, you know what he's saying? He's saying, see Israel, when you look back, they were hard against God. They were hard against God and they worshipped everyone but him, allowed everything in but him. And it says, because of the hardness of your heart, Israel, God has written, as Moses even said, he keeps the law of his own writing. So Christ is speaking that and looking at here. In Matthew 19. Now let's look at this. And I saw after all that was done, all these things, verse 7, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. And notice what her treacherous sister Judah saw. That's the southern kingdom. See, speaking to the northern kingdom. Verse 8, and when I saw for all these causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, notice I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. The Lord says, yeah, for the hardness of your heart, Israel, for the hardness of your heart, you people, I'm having to write this for you. He was coming home, as it were, like a man who comes home from work every night and his wife is with another man. He goes out to work and he comes home and says, with a different one. He's trying to get her attention during the evening moments or the morning moments and her mind is always on someone else. 
and on something else, and, and she's always with someone else. This is the idea of this. And God said, Israel, you were like this to me, so I've written you a bill of divorce. Get out! And he kicks them out of Canaan land. I'm done with you. That's the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom are still there. But he now looks at them, they're going the same way. They don't learn any different. And he calls them your treacherous sister, Judah. Verse 9, and it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. In other words, they built them up and they worshipped at other altars. There was no blood here of the lamb. There was no law of God. There was no word of God. It was everything but God. And that's what's happening in the churches today. Uh, they're, they're a way to worship at other altars. Verse 10, And yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but faintly. In other words, she lightly regards me, saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Why had backsliding northern kingdom of Israel justified herself more than the southern kingdom of Judah? Because Judah had the temple. Judah had the scrolls. Judah had the religious services. Judah had the sacrificial animals of blood. Judah had the kingly line coming out of it of David and Solomon and so on. And it's after Solomon that the kingdom collapses under Solomon's son Rehoboam. And the Lord says, you should have known better. You had more than they had. Even their line of kings was, was not from me. But you, Judah, should have knew better. Judah is where we get a derivative name of Jew from. And the Lord is saying this. And if you will let your eye run down to verse 20. Surely, as a treacherous, a wife treacherously departed from her husband, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way, and they have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art God. Brothers and sisters, if you'll turn to Ezekiel I'm doing this off the top of my head, so forgive me. Chapter 23. I went off my notes, so I might do another night on it, on something different. Ezekiel chapter 23. If I can find that right, yes. Just let me get a two. Verse 1. For the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, notice there were two women, the daughters of one mother, and they committed whoredoms in Egypt. They committed whoredoms in their youth. And there were their teats pressed. And there they bruised the teats of their virginity. In other words, this is Israel in Egypt. This is them learning the way of the Egyptian. This is them where there was light and gosh and when there was darkness everywhere else. God says, I kept you right through this. The, the, the diseases and the plagues didn't come nigh 
and I have blessed you. It's like God says to us in Northern Ireland, I have blessed you for years. I have kept my hand upon you. I have led you. I have guided you. Even when there was trouble, when there was murder, when there was bombing, when there was deceit, when there was killings, when there was all sorts going on, I still kept my word with you and my promises to you. And look where you are now with me. Shame on you, Ulster. Notice what he says. Verse 4, I want you to take note of this. And the names of them were Ahala. Will you say Ahala? I want you to remember these names. Say Ahala. And I want you to say Ahaliva. I'm not teaching you to speak in tongues now. I'm just, that's the name just here, okay. Ahala, the elder, and Ahaliva, her sister, and they were mine, and they bare sons and daughters. Thus their names were Samaria. That's the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. That's Ahala, and Jerusalem is Ahaliba. And Ahala played the harlot when she was mine. Notice the past tense, when she was mine. By this time in Ezekiel, God has sent the Assyrian, and now the house of Israel are gone forever. Kicked out of the marital home of Canaan land. And only Judah is left. Look, I can't go on much further than this because time's flowing. I want you to look at this, if you will. Ahala and the Holiba. Ahala is Samaria. That's what God calls it. These two sisters are Jerusalem and Samaria. The northern uh, capital is Samaria, and the southern capital is Jerusalem. And God says, these two sisters, they represent the two kingdoms. He says, Ahala. Well, she played the heart on me. My wife committed whoredoms on me. Do you know what a, uh, a holiba, Jerusalem means? Do you know what it means? It means my tent is in her. In Jerusalem, in Judah, the time Ahalaba means my tent is in her. I mean, she has my temple there. My presence comes there. That's what it means. And God is looking at them, even though Judah are in captivity in Babylon by this time, yet not divorced. Only the house of Israel are. And he says, my tent is in her, and I'm going to bring her back. I'm going to bring her back after 70 years and they'll build the walls and they'll build the temple. That's under uh, Nehemiah and the book of Ezra. And here's the thing. You'll read of the name Israel because they're a part of Israel of the 12 tribes, but you'll read of Judah. You'll read of, some, uh, of, uh, of Benjamin. You'll read of Levi. But you don't read of one other tribe, not one who returned. You know why? Because they're gone. God says they're done. So a holiba means my tents and hurt. You know what a holla means? Speaking of the northern kingdom, he says a holla, it means she has her own tent. She brings all sorts of lovers into it. She has her own tent, just gone. But a holiba, you're still mine. 
I'm glad of the grace of God, are you not? Glad that I'm saved by the blood. And when we get here to Isaiah 50, let me close with this. I think I've given you enough to chew on tonight. When we close on Isaiah 50, where is the bill of your mother's divorce whom I have put away? You know what he's saying? Or where's your creditors to whom I have sold you? He's speaking still to the southern kingdom of Judah and Jerusalem. And do you know what he's saying? He has seen the pre-incarnate Christ. He sees the incarnate Christ. And on among all of this, he says, have I sold you yet? Even though you're sinning, Judah? Well, no, Lord. Have I got rid of you? Have I divorced you? No, Lord, you haven't. He says, well, the other kingdom are gone. Will you learn from past mistakes? And we all say, yes, Lord, we will, but we don't. And hence in our reading, we see Christ. The Lord has said, I'll not go into it tonight, that if a woman is given a bill of divorce and goes away from her husband, that even if she comes back to him in later years, the husband was not allowed to take her back. And the words are, for she is as a polluted land. That was the law. And the Lord said, I'm going to have to come and I'm going to have to die to keep the law because we all break the law. I'm going to have to die to keep the law because people like you for the hardness of all our hearts. And all the mess he saved us from. I'm going to come and bleed and die for them. That I might be re-betrothed. See Jesus says. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law. Or the prophets. I am come to fulfill them. Hence guilty, vile, hell deserving sinners. Like everybody in here and this man here can be saved by the grace of God and under the blood of Christ. And as we sang at the start, I believe Jesus saves. Do you believe that? Who can see that tonight? Who sees that picture of, of showing you tonight? You see it? It's such a bigger picture. Is it any wonder that they want rid of Isaiah? He was wounded for our transgressions. He's wounded because Israel, Judah. He's from Judah. The visions concerning Jerusalem and Judah. He's saying, as what happened to them, it will happen to you. You're sinners, you're lawbreakers, transgressors, full of iniquity, adulterous and idolatrous. He says, you're sinful before God and in your trespasses. And he says, you're all like whores before God and hearted of a wife. And so's our nation. And Isaiah comes and he proclaims us to the nation. And suddenly he says, I've seen his glory. He's going to judge us. I've seen his splendor. He's going to come and he's going to judge us. I've seen him. And hallelujah, he says, but I've seen him on the cross. I've seen him bleeding and dying 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Jehovah the Father hath laid on the Son, the Lord Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's why he's saying this. Oh, and old Manasseh, by the time he gets down the line, he says, I hate that man for our enemies, even though they're brethren. Our enemies can be redeemed if this one comes. And with his pompous, pious heart, he says, kill him because we have our own form of worship. Get rid of the church. Get rid of the preacher. Get rid of the one who tells us we must be saved. Get rid of the one who says we must be born again. Get rid of this fundamentalist fanatic, this bigot. I'm a bigot. Are you a bigot? You know what people call you a bigot? You know what I told you before? I'm going to tell you again in case somebody has forgotten or doesn't remember or has never heard it. When the reformers came out, the just shall live by faith. The Roman church started looking at them and calling them bigotes. The bigotes. That's, and it was a slur on them. It was a slur on them. It was a, an insult to them. They thought... And the bigotes know why? Because they're saying we're begotten of God. That's what it means. These people say they're begotten of God. These people say they're begotten through sovereign grace. These people say they're begotten through irresistible grace, drawing them to the cross of Christ. These people, though depraved in their nature and dead in their trespasses and sins, these people who are like harlots before God, he calls them from death unto life and from darkness to light, and they're called begotten of God. And I'm begotten of God. I'm looking at a load of bigots tonight. (laughs) Come from every walk of life in Northern Ireland and beyond England. They're bigots. By God and of God. Born of the Spirit with life from above into God's family divine. Justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine. And it's because of that wonderful day when at the cross I came. Oh, brothers and sisters, will, will, will you stand with me for a moment? Will you just praise him? I'm going to ask Encounter Grace to come up and the group to come up or the musicians first to come up. Stand with me. Stand with me. Praise the Lord. Lucy, will you look that up for me, please?